Amen. Hey, we are in world religions, cults, and the occult. Number eight, Bobby, is once again Mormonism. That's right. You are so correct. Now, if you guys want to go ahead and turn to page four in the section on Mormonism, that's where we're going to pick up. And as you turn there, that's right. That's my nifty time to fill in the blank, and that's do a recap, Bobby. Uh, James chapter one, verse five, they build their whole context on a feeling of burning the bosom. That's not even what James one, five says, but that's the whole thing. Which account? They don't even agree. The writings don't even agree. There is no archaeological evidence for any of this stuff. Mormon does not mean more good. Basically, boogie monster. Extreme racist boy i tell you what big time uh joseph smith was not a martyr you're not a martyr when you kill people uh shoot him back he was a freemasonry he was into witchcraft he did not do what he bolstered that he could do that he did what even so-called jesus couldn't do keep the church together no you got a, a bunch of splinter groups we'll see that again even tonight uh they got many false teachings certainly we had to deal with that one aspect the baptism of the dead the people don't get a second chance and that's not even what that scripture is talking about and then where did they get all this from well these are again now we're into how do you know somebody involved in the occult okay and that's basically five different things that they do and the first thing is they got a different source of authority they may say oh yeah we follow the bible and mormons will say that the only the kjv only but then they'll even say but that's corrupted etc blah 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 but they really don't follow the bible as we saw it's the book of mormon and uh, the uh, Doctrine and Covenants and the Pearl of Great Price. And all those have some serious problems with their, serious, uh, uh, their authority. We saw it based on this golden plates thing. It's supposed to be reformed Egyptian. Joseph Smith bought some mummies and some uh, Egyptian papyri, which was from the Egyptian Book of the Dead, and this funeral papyri, and he didn't even get it right in the translation, which is where some of this stuff comes from in these other three sources of truth. It's crazy, and he was a false prophet. And that's why we left off last time that guess what? There were people who spoke up and gave testimonies. This guy's a liar, he's a crook, it's all about money, and he's a drunkard. You don't want to listen to this guy. Okay, and this is where they get their source of truth. You get a bad source of truth, i.e., you get outside the Bible, you're always going to end up in error. And that's why Mormonism is so messed up, because it's completely outside the Bible, even though they want to claim with their media that they're Christians. Great for morals. I don't think so. Okay, but let's continue on. So that's number one. How do you know you're involved in the cult? Your source of authority is messed up. Number two, the way that you know that somebody's involved in a cult is cults always get the nature of God wrong. They get the nature of God wrong. We're going to see they get the work of Jesus wrong and who he is, his person. They also get the nature of man wrong. And of course, the big one, uh, they're all big, but really, you don't want to get this one wrong. How to be saved, the means of salvation, they get it wrong. So number two, we're going to deal with tonight, the nature of God, right? So how many guys would say that if you get your source of authority wrong, you go outside the Bible, you not only get false teachings, but uh, your version of God is also going to be wrong. Yeah, that's exactly what we're going to see. It's really messed up. Let's take a look. Essentially, Mormonism is a man-exalting, is your blank there, man-exalting, God-humanizing religion, right? Basically, take God and his wonderfulness and his deity, right, and his holiness and say, no, you're just like us. And they take man and says, no, we can become a God. Complete opposite of what the scripture says. That's really it in a nutshell. Mormonism teaches that God the Father is a resurrected, exalted human being. What? What's the Bible say? As we saw last time, God the Father, John chapter 4, is spirit. Okay? Okay, not a human being. Okay? And then they say that God the Father is not only an exalted human being, but he was named Elohim. We saw last time. All that is is simply uh, the plural form used in Genesis and elsewhere, speaking of the Trinity. Let us make man in our image, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's not a person's name. Okay, it's, it's completely out of context. Uh, and they said he was supposedly named Elohim, who at one time was not a god. Well, if you're not a god, god by definition is self-existent, you always are, then how could you not be a god, but then you become a god? We dealt with that all last time. I don't want to belabor that. It's illogical. It's not only unbiblical, it's illogical. Right? God, by definition, is supreme. He's self-existent. If you had a beginning, hey, Mormon, you celebrate a birthday, that you're actually celebrating the fact that you cannot become a god because you had a beginning. Okay, really? But anyway, that's what we saw last time. Rather, they say he was once a mortal man. Now, this is God the Father, they're saying. Right? They say he was a mortal man on another planet, rhymes with Kolob, and on another planet, who, through obedience to the precepts of his God, whoa, 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 wait a second, once again, God, by definition, is supreme being, singular, one, that's why he's supreme, he's the only one, nobody's bigger than him, secular philosophy admits that, if there is, in fact, a supreme being, there can only be one, otherwise he wouldn't be, so what are you saying, so he's God, he's, what, 
It's illogical, let alone unbiblical, again, to say that you can have more than one God. It defeats the very term itself. It's crazy, but that's what they teach. Eventually, though, they say, uh, through being obedient to the precepts of his God, wherever that God came from, eventually attain exaltation or Godhood himself. It's wild, okay? Now, the Mormon God is located in time and space, has a body of flesh and bone, and this is God the Father, and thus is nearly uh, neither spirit nor omnipresent. John chapter 4, God the Father's what? Spirit, omnipresent, right? Where, what's the psalmist say? Where can I go? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I go down below, where are you at? You're there. I can't hide from you. You're everywhere. God's omnipresent, right? And But what do they say? No. Got a flesh and body. He's not spirit, and uh, he's not omnipresent. What are you talking about? You are so, how in the world could you get so off base on biblical? Oh, I got it, because you don't follow the Bible. <clears throat> this, is, this is the problem. All right, let's continue on. Mormonism teaches that God increases in knowledge. Uh-oh. What do you mean increases in knowledge? Absolutely crazy. <clears throat> and consequently, God does not have absolute and total knowledge. Well, wait a second. What's the core attribute of God? He's not only omnipresent, right? He's everywhere. He's what? Omniscient. He knows everything. Otherwise, he wouldn't be God. Okay, it's crazy, okay? <clears throat> Let's continue on. Consequently, they say he has, does not have absolute total knowledge. Mormonism also teaches that the God over this world is one of an infinite lineage of gods. Again, you got to be kidding me. Then who's, who's supreme? Nobody's supreme, which is the core meaning of being God. It just, it just doesn't make sense. Now, <clears throat> in the Mormon universe, God is not responsible for creating or sustaining matter, energy, natural laws, human personhood, moral principles, nor the process of salvation, what they call exaltation. Well, well then, what kind of a God's that? <laughs> right? One guy, you know, I remember him saying about evolution. Evolution, of course, the premise is millions of years ago, right? Uh, there was this big giant thing called the Big Bang, and everything blew up from this little tiny ball of dirt. All right, where'd the dirt come from? Right? Oh, I don't know. Right? And so you keep going. But the whole premise that they say is that, uh, and then out of this dirt, it all blew up and everything came into existence and whatever. And it's purely a random chance and there's no rhyme or reason for it and whatever. And, and then, and even then, it's completely random. And uh, 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 then you'll even have Christians, what they'll do is they'll try to play the middle ground. And that's what's called, we've seen before in our apologetic studies, theistic evolution. That God used evolution to create things. What? God doesn't need evolution. Evolution by nature is you, you don't even know if you ever, it's all a bunch of misfits, mutations. You never get it right. Over millions of years, maybe you'll get it right. One guy says, hey, listen, uh, that God is inept. You need to get a real God who does it right the first time, like the Bible says. Right? You don't need millions of years and experience. Yeah, it's, hmm. But anyway, so that's what they say. I mean, but it's supposed to be God. You can be a God, but then you're not the one who's responsible for the universe and everything else. And this is nothing like the God of the Bible at all, period. Okay. Now, they go on and say, in fact, instead of the universe being subject to him, i.e. God, which is the biblical view, right? Who created the universe? Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Colossians chapter 1. Who upholds it and sustains it? God, Jesus, the Son, Right? But they say the Mormon God is subject to the universe. Well, then how can you be God? Then that means the universe has got something on you. Well, then you're not supreme, which means you're not God. The whole thing falls apart. It's crazy that people are like, stop, stop. What are you saying? What are you saying? Have you thought this through? This is not just unbiblical. It doesn't even make sense. It's illogical. right? But let's continue on. <clears throat> and these are some of their uh, quotes from them. This is the Gospel of Principles, chapter 47, on exaltation. Now, again, what their version of exaltation, i.e. salvation, whatever, is becoming a God. Okay, that's what they mean by it. They say, this is the way our Heavenly Father became God. <laughs> Joseph Smith taught, it is the first principle of the Gospel to know for a certainty the character of God. He was once a man like us. Ooh, wait a second. The first principle of the Gospel, right? Now, they'll say, that, oh, yeah, we believe in the Gospel, uh, your gospel is not the same as ours. What did you just say? The first principle you need to understand in their so-called gospel is what? you got to admit that God was a man like us. That ain't the gospel. That's not even close to the gospel. That's nothing to do with the gospel. But notice they'll use, again, our verbiage. Come to the door. Oh, I, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, you can get the same Jesus. Oh, I, I believe in God the Father, the heavenly Father. It ain't the same thing as ours. Oh, we believe in preaching the gospel. It ain't the same one as ours. 
You got to get behind the terminology, right? And then they say, he was a man once like us. God himself, the father of us all, dwelt on earth. (laughs) What? Excuse me? Paul was caught up into the third heaven, the actual dwelling place of God the Father, and that was not planet earth. Give me a break. Right. Continue on. This is from the Doctrine and Covenants, 130.22. The Father has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as a man. The Son also, the Holy Ghost, is not a body of flesh and bones, but is the personage of a spirit. Were it not so, the Holy Ghost could not dwell in us. Again, they're saying God the Father has a, a body just like you and I. And that is completely unbiblical, period. Continue on. Gospel Principles, chapter 1, at the top of the next page. Because we are made in His image, okay, <clears throat> We know that God has a body that looks like ours. That's not what he's talking about. When the Genesis account, of course, they're not even quoting Genesis. It's their book, right, which came from all these faulty sources outside the Bible. Okay, when the Bible says that mankind was created in the image of God, what's he talking about? Not physically, because God the Father does not have a body, right? Spiritually and morally. We were given a spirit nature eternally. That's why all humans, even mankind throughout all of ages, uh, you're, you're going to exist. Everybody is going to exist forever of all time. It's either heaven forever or hell forever. That's it. We have an eternal nature, right? There's no annihilationism and all that stuff. No, you're going to exist forever. It's one of two places. Number two, morally, we are created in the image of God, okay? Not physically, but that's what they, they want to say. His eternal spirit, they say, is housed in a tangible body of flesh and bones, again, that's what they say. Now, l- listen to this. All that the Bible says about the true God, the Mormon God, is not. <laughs> is your blank there? Oh, man. It is the complete polar opposite. It's not at all what it says. It is completely wrong. Now, let me give you a little bit before we continue on. A little bit more of how faulty. Again, once you get outside the Bible, you get a bad source of authority. You make it up. You're involved in witchcraft and Satanism and Freemasonry. Hey, everything's going to be messed up. And that's what we see, not only with God, but also other things that have to do with theology, they get messed up. Joseph Smith said that, that for, again, there are many gods, right? Uh, hence, the doctrine of a plurality of gods is as prominent, he said, in the Bible as any other doctrine. Really? What did we see last time? How many times did we quote? Just from Isaiah, there's only one God. There's no other gods. No other gods before me. No, not one. I know not one. One God. One God. Excuse me? Okay. And then he goes on and says, in the beginning, the head of the gods called the council of gods. <laughs> God, by definition, is one. And he's like, what? And you... Anyway, and they came together and concocted a plan to create the world and people it. That's from the Journal of Discourses, volume 6, page 5. Okay, he also taught that the Trinity is three gods. Okay, again, how do you know you're in a cult? They always mess up the Trinity, typically two. Okay, always mess it up. He says, uh, quote, and this is from uh, the teachings of prophet Joseph Smith, page 370. He said, God the Father, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, these three constitute three distinct personages and three gods. No, it doesn't, right? We already dealt with that again last week. Uh, He's basically trying to get us to believe, and this is what cults do when they try to get, get stumped, or they try to get us stumped on the Trinity. You're preaching three gods. Well, Mormons like that because they teach multiple gods. Uh, Other ones that reject it, because saying that you're teaching uh, uh, a polytheism, many gods, they say, well, see, that's God the Father plus God the Son plus God the Holy Spirit. That equals three. Well, that's what the Mormons say. Well, that's not what the Bible says. God is of the same essence. He's given himself one times one times one times one equals one. Water, again, leave it alone. It's a liquid. Uh, freeze it. It's a solid. Boil it, and it becomes a vapor. Which one's not water? Give me a break. It's all the one. That's how God has revealed himself, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. But they like this misunderstanding of the Trinity that other cults try to use against the Christians and accuse us of preaching many gods. They like that because that helps them say, well, see, see, many gods. That's just like what you see with God the Father. That's not what the Bible's teaching, right? Continue on. Joseph Smith also said that our greatest responsibility is to seek after our dead. Journal of Discourses, volume 6, page 7. Really? So when Jesus rose from the grave, he said, go into all the world and seek after the dead. Yeah, wrong Bible. Uh, it's not in the Bible. <laughs> you get out there and preach the gospel, right? Make disciples of the nations, right? Uh, but again, that's the big premise with their baptism of the dead we saw. Okay, so he gets that wrong. Now listen, you're going to think I'm making this up, but I got documentation on this one. Joseph Smith, right, right, again, you get a wrong source of authority, you get outside the Bible, anything goes. Now, the problem is the Mormon church is still, I even hate, don't like saying church because that's our word. 
Mormonism still has to defend what these guys came up with, even in the beginning, because their whole basis on they were prophets. And they have a revelation. And so they got to defend it to the T as goofy as it is. And here's one of them. Joseph Smith said, I'm making it up. There are men living on the moon who dress like Quakers and live to be nearly 1,000 years old. Yes, I will demonstrate that to you. This is from a, an official published source, Joseph Smith Todd. This is from a guy uh, with Joseph Smith confidant, Oliver Hunt, Huntington. And he says this in reference to what Joseph Smith taught. Quote, the inhabitants of the moon, direct quote, the inhabitants of the moon are more of a uniform size than the inhabitants of the earth. They're all about six feet tall, right? They dress very much like the Quaker style, right? And are quite general in style or the one fashion of dress. They live to be very old, coming generally near a thousand years. What? And then they try to build on that in their so-called book of Abraham. Remember the book of Abraham came from what? Joseph Smith got from that traveling guy, bought some dead mummies. How many guys are glad that mummies are dead? Yeah, but anyway, but uh, <laughs> mummies and the, the Egyptian papyri and he, you know, Book of Abraham, he came out of that, which was got everything completely wrong in the translation of that supposed reformed Egyptian, whatever. Anyway, this is a statement that quote the statement in Abraham three five that book that came from that. Uh, the statement in there says that the moon is greater than the earth. It would hardly make sense if the moon were a desolate globe. How about the guy made the whole thing up, right? But they, they, it's just like, you know, you tell a lie, what's that happen? Leads to a, another lie. And then you got to tell another lie to cover up that lie. And this lie, another lie, and that's what we got, right? The guy actually said out of his mouth that there's people on the moon, they dress like Quakers, they live a thousand years old. And so they're trying to justify it. And then they said also the pronouncements of Oliver Cowdery and Hiram Smith that every star and planet was inhabited also implies an inhabited moon. So now they're trying to go, well, these guys said something too, so it's got to be true. Remember, they got to defend this. They can't admit they're wrong. They can't admit that these guys are not prophets because everything will crumble. So as goofy as it is, they have to defend it to the T. Now, let's, let's go on. And let me give you an example of them defending it. I got two different examples, okay? This was in the 19th century when science was already showing that, hello, nobody's living on the moon, <laughs> Okay. Now, this is in an article that appeared, Are the Worlds Inhabited? And this is in their own publication called The Millennial Star. And they defend the Mormon position about people being on the moon. And I quote, To the question, is the moon inhabited? Astronomers, astronomers have returned a definite negative answer. It has been claimed that the moon is a dead world, without atmosphere, without vegetation, without moisture, and consequently without inhabitants. On this subject, the Latter-day Saints have the advantage. No, you don't. You got lied to by a guy. But you can't admit it, right? We've got the advantage because our prophet told us this is... You can't let it go. Now, they, they say this. Listen, quote. The worlds are inhabited, millions of them. Now, why would they push that? Because what's their belief? You get to become a god. You go through the priesthood. You get to what? You get to populate your own planet, and you get to this, and there's planets and gods and this, and that god and came from that god and god and god and god and god. So they really have to have a Star Wars mentality. We'll get to that in a second. Who influenced Star Wars, right? Uh, the worlds are inhabited, millions of them. They form the abode of the offspring of deity, birthplaces, probation planets, prison houses, spirit fears, paradises, homes for the resurrected, glorified sons per, for perfected, and celestialized intelligence. There has to be life out there. There's got to be other beings on other planets. I mean, they, they have to have that. This is their, I'm not making this up. It's not a conspiracy theory. We dealt with this a little bit in our Buddhism study, if you guys recall. What's really behind the Star Wars theology? Well, this is their own writing, not mine, so I'm not trying to press it into there. This is from their own uh, thing called LDS Living. And here's what they say. How Star Wars was influenced by a Mormon. Much. And this is their writing. Most LDS science fiction aficionados are aware that their beloved television series, Battlestar Galactica, remember that? Was heavily influenced by Mormon theology. It was created by an active Latter-day Saint, Glenn Larson, and Battlestar Galactica contained many recognizable elements of the Mormon faith, including eternal marriage 
and a council of 12. But could there be LDS elements in Star Wars as well? And again, this is their writing. I'm not trying to like, oh, you're just really twisting it now. No, this is from them, right? Star Wars creator George Lucas, of course, we saw before, he's a self-proclaimed Buddhist Methodist, which is an oxymoron. You can't be a Buddhist Methodist. That's like icy hot. That's like peaceful war. It's like chicken yummy. It just, it just doesn't work. Okay, let's move on. Uh, but anyway, so that's, but guess what? The producer was a Mormon. We saw this before. And uh, that's a guy named Gary Kurtz. And he's a legend in his own right. He was the one who produced American Graffiti, Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, then another movie called The Dark Crystal, Return of Oz. This was in like 73 through 85. Okay, that's the, Gary Kurtz was, was producing these films. The, it says there, though the story franchise was influenced by a variety of philosophies and religious traditions, certainly we saw that with uh, Buddhism and things of that nature, but also Hinduism and stuff. Okay, it does contain, this is their words, not mine, it does contain several similarities to Mormon theology that were likely influenced by Kurtz's Mormon background. And here's what they say. Here's a few that stood out to us as Mormons. Number one. Of course, they say, any discussion of Mormon connections in Star Wars has to begin with the legend that Yoda was modeled after the LDS prophet Spencer Kimball, who was similar in appearance and mannerism. And here's what they say. Spencer Kimball served as the president of the Mormons uh, from 1974 to 1985. When were the Star Wars movies made and all that stuff? Exact same time frame. So this was the head cheese. During that time frame. Listen, their words, not mine. Like Yoda, Kimball was short, with large ears, thin white hair, and a slightly squashed, wrinkly face. Both had a knack for axioms. Kimball was famous for urging Mormons not to simply believe their faith, but to do it, even do it now, advice Yoda inverted into do or do not. Interesting. They also say the force. Latter-day Saints believe that the priesthood has the power by which the earth and heavens were created, and therefore a holder of that priesthood has the power to heal the sick, raise the dead, even move mountains. You know, have superpower, like the Jedi, right? Considering the central role the Force plays in Star Wars universe, it's not hard to see how Kurtz's exposure to the Mormon priesthood may have influenced its creation. The potential for greatness or godhood. Star Wars, like Mormon theology, portrays mankind as infinitely greater than the fallen worlds on which we live. Yoda said, luminous beings are we, not this crude matter. They say, of course, a central tenet of Mormonism says that not only was God once a man like us, but that we can eventually become divine. Or, as our prophet Lorenzo Snow, they said, famously said, as man now is, God once was. As God now is, man may become. The Jedi Council... And again, this is the Mormon saying this. The Jedi receive special training instructions in temples. Not sanctuaries. Temples. What's the big teaching in Mormonism? How do you get to the top kingdom? How do you become the super? How do you become a god? You got to go through the temple. And this is Mormons writing this. They also are led by a council of 12, which is also part of the Mormon leadership number. Okay, and, and they say these words, sound familiar? And this came from the uh, Washington, it says, the Washington Post has demonstrated that Utahans seem to love Star Wars more than people in any other state. I wonder why. Pretty interesting. Conspiracy theory, I don't know. But they sure seem to think that Mr. Mormon, who helped produce that thing, uh, had a hand in it. And uh, weaving that in along with other religious mindsets. Now, you thought that was bad with all due respect? Once you get outside the authority, man, you get all me things messed up, all kinds of false teaching. You get a false God, false teachings on God, false understanding of God. You actually would have the audacity to say that people lived on the moon. That ain't nothing. Brigham Young. Brigham Young, he did his own. Remember, he's supposed to be a prophet too. He said, Joseph Smith said people live on the moon. And they defend that to a T, believe it or not. He said that people inhabit the sun. Yeah. Hey, I, I, the only benefit I can think of that is, uh, first of all, you don't need propane when you barbecue. And when you put those uh, steaks on there, Ron, bam, they're done just like that. I mean, it's just awesome. Instant satisfaction as you burn up too. Hello, give me a break. Kid you not, quote, Brigham Young said, who can tell us, who can tell us of the inhabitants of this little planet that shines on, of an evening called the moon? When you inquire about the inhabitants of that sphere, 
Again, remember, he's dovetailing off of Joseph Smith. Uh, when you inquire about the inhabitants of that sphere, the moon, you find that most learned are as ignorant in regard to them as most are ignorant of their fathers. So it is in regard to the inhabitants of the sun. Do you think it's inhabited? I rather think it is. Do you think there is any life there? No question of it. It was not made in vain. <laughs> Come on. No, no, no. You, you fry long before you even get to the sun. Come on. It's just... But again, they're prophets. And you can't admit they're wrong. Because if they're wrong, then the whole house of cards crumble. Listen to them defending this. Listen to this. This is from In One Minute Answers to Anti-Mormon Questions. And this is from a Mormon guy named Stephen W. Gibson. And he writes, listen to this. At present time... Man has no scientific or revealed knowledge of whether or not there are inhabitants on the Earth's moon. What? But he continues, the fact that a handful of astronauts didn't see any inhabitants in the tiny area that they viewed when they landed on the moon decades ago certainly gives no definitive information any more than visitors to Earth who might land on the barren Death Valley would have any idea of billions of inhabitants elsewhere. You just can't give it up, can you? Right? Well, maybe they just landed the wrong spot. They, they landed in, in a desert and there's nobody there. They should have went around. We can see the rest of the moon. You don't have to land on it to see what's on it. There's no... But see, you can't. As crazy as it is, you tell a lie, you got to keep it going. You got to cover it up. Another lie with this lie, and you just... It's just it's crazy, okay? But let's continue on. So that's what that. Now, that's what their view of God is, okay? Now, let's take a look. It's back in the workbooks. Uh, the biblical response. There's what? How many gods? One. Hello, we went through this last week. There's only one. He's the creator and the Lord of everything. that he, He's not subject to the universe, Right? He created the whole thing, the universe, everything, all of life. Genesis 1 through 3. He's infinite. He's transcendent. He's eternal. He's unchangeable. He's omnipresent. He's sovereign. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. In other words, all-powerful, everywhere, all-present, all-knowing. He eternally exists as the triune God, as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, each equal, having the same attributes, and they're equal of worthy of adoration, worship, and faith. God is self-existent and eternal. Psalm 90 says, Before the mountains were born, or you gave birth to the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You didn't become a God. You didn't have to find this other God, which is an oxymoron and illogical, to find these secret techniques so that you can become a God because you're just a man and you're desperately... You are God. You've always been God, right, is what the scripture has to say. Uh, Romans eleven thirty six: From him, God, and through him, God, and to him, God, are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. He's immutable and changeless. He doesn't adjust. He doesn't become. He just is. He's God. He doesn't become a God. None of that stuff. He's immutable. He's unchangeable. And this is what we see. Malachi 3, 6. For I, the Lord, do what? I do not change. God does not need to go through an exalted process to become a God. He is God. He doesn't change. He's always been that way. It's what the scripture teaches. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. James 1.17. Every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation, no shifting shadow. And praise God for that. Aren't you glad that God doesn't change? One day he says, here, I'm going to save you through Jesus. Next day, nah, just kidding. Next day, all right, I'll let you back in. Next day, ah, just kidding again. He's immutable is the big term there, the theological term. He's unchangeable, praise God. Okay, but let's continue on. He's also omniscient. He knows everything. Remember they said he doesn't, their version of God, the Father, it's all messed up. That he doesn't know everything. He's still learning and got to go through this exaltation process. Crazy. Listen, here's what we see here. Outside all those other verses you can see. Psalm 139. You know when I sit down, when I rise up, you understand my thought from afar. You scrutinize my path, my lying down, and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before, listen, there's a word on my tongue. Behold, O oh Lord, you know some of it. No, you know it all. God knows everything. Again, that's pure, not only Bible, but it's pure logic. If, if God didn't know something, he could not be God. He couldn't be supreme. Okay, bare bones definition. Let's continue on. God, he counts the number of the stars. He gives names to them all. Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is finite, as the Mormons would say. No, infinite. He knows everything. He's God. He's also omnipotent. He's all-powerful, right? He's not limited by space and time, 
right? He's above space and time. He's the one who created. In the beginning, time, God created the heavens, space, and the earth, the matter, time, space, matter. God's above. He created all that. He can do whatever he wants, okay? Here's what he says. Behold, Jeremiah 32, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is anything too difficult for me, right? And, of course, the answer is no, right? Uh, Isaiah 46, remember this and be assured. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things long past, for I am God, and there is what? No other. I am God, and there is no one like me, period. Declaring the end from the beginning, from the ancient uh, uh, times, things which have not uh, been done, saying, my purpose, what? Will be established. God will do whatever he wants to do. And I will accomplish for all my good pleasure, calling a bird of prey from the east and the man of my purpose from a far country. Truly I've spoken. Truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. Surely I will do it. Who are you going to tell me that I can't do something God's saying? I am all-powerful. I'm the one who's above and beyond all of creation. I created out of nothing with the spoken word. I can do whatever I want. Now, that's good news for you and I, as we saw in our character of God study. God can fix any problem he wants. He can save anybody he wants. He can, he can give you any kind of... He's, he's got it all. Then with the Mormons, I don't know, maybe, I don't know. He does, he's still learning. It's crazy, completely unbiblical. Now, that's just God. Again, sp spills downhill. Your source of authority goes downhill. You're not only going to get the nature of God wrong, you're going to get the nature of guess who? Jesus. Shocker. And let's take a look at that. Mormons believe that Jesus is, notice, a God. He's not the eternal Son of God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one God. He's a God. Okay? Now, that's a radical difference. Now, listen to this. Stop and think about this. They also believe that, as we saw before, Lucifer, okay, and, of course, Jesus... We saw before we're spirit brothers, right? In the supposed council that they supposedly had to populate the planet, okay? Well, then that would make the devil Jesus' brother, okay? But also that would make the devil a god too. But he's not a god, he's an angel, he's a created being, okay? See, but it gets worse. Listen, in this whole council, this whole version of what they call, uh, you know, the, the Mormon plan, right? Listen, that also means that Lucifer, the demons, and what? All mankind are spirit brothers and sisters. Wait a second. So now you're saying demons are gods? And then the rest of us are gods too? Well, that's their premise. And it's, you know, fortunately, if you can find you know, the Mormons, then they're going to help you go through this, this priesthood, and you can become your own god, get back to godhood. That's what they believe. But, but now you're saying demons are god. I mean, stop and think about what you're teaching. Right? And, and it's, it's pretty wild. But anyway, it says they're born in the spirit world as spirit babies to Elohim and his goddess wives. <laughs> and again, that's the plurality issue. It's like God, by definition, supreme one, you can't, whatever. So it all falls apart. But anyway, Mormon leaders, notice the wives, uh, plural. Get to that in a second. Mormon leaders have consistently taught that God the Father had sexual relations. Their version of the virgin birth is nothing at all what the Bible teaches. We saw this before, right? That they consistently taught that God the Father had sexual relations, actual physical sexual relations with Mary, who is technically, according to their teaching, his own spirit daughter, which would make that union incest. What? First of all, it was not, the virgin birth was not physical, right? And second of all, it's, there's, wow, okay? And they said that's what was needed to produce this body for Jesus. Early Mormon apostles also asserted that Jesus was a polygamist. Is your blank there? Yeah. And we're going to finish up with that one because that's a hot topic. A polygamist is your blank. And that his wives included Mary and Martha, supposedly the sisters of Lazarus there, and uh, Mary Magdalene. Are you serious? Do these people, do they really, because you hear about this all the time. And you hear from uh, many times in the Mormon church, they really back off on this one because it's not a very good... I don't know why you would defend the moon and the sun thing, but they really try to back off on, are you serious? You guys had multiple wives, and you're saying that you could, you could have more than one wives? That's, that's not popular with the ladies. And rightly so. Where's the feminists when you need them, so to speak? Okay. But they really believe that, folks, and we're going to finish that up. But let me, let me give you a little teaser. This really went on from the get-go. Joseph Smith was not only a liar, with all due respect, a con artist, a money digger, involved in the occult, the guy... 
sexually immoral. And that's just probably being kind, right? Let's take a look. In 1833, Joseph Smith had an affair with his 16-year-old household servant, Fanny Alger. And according to some accounts, Emma Smith saw them in the barn together. This is explained away by saying that Joseph had received a revelation in 1831 that polygamy was a divine law and that Fanny Alger was his first plural wife, even though the Book of Mormon and Doctrine and Covenants expressly prohibit this. But the revelation in question only pertains to marriages to Lamanite women. In 1843, when Smith had more than a dozen wives, he finally recorded his revelation on polygamy but it wasn't told to the general Mormon populace until 1852. Because it generated dissension, it was only practiced by a few hand-picked church leaders. In fact, Smith was publicly denying and condemning polygamy right up until he died. But in private, Smith was an avid polygamist, perhaps taking as many as 40 wives, the youngest of which was 14. He married sets of sisters and one mother-daughter set although both are expressly forbidden in the Bible. By some counts, a third of his wives were actually married to and cohabitating with other men. On several occasions, Smith actually told other high-ranking Mormons that he wanted their wives. After they finally gave in, sometimes Smith would tell them that it had just been a test of loyalty. But he did take Apostle Orson Hyde's wife while he was sent away on a church mission to Palestine. Smith was not above using his influence as a prophet of God to further his polygamy. He would promise prospective wives that they and their whole family would be guaranteed salvation if she married him and damnation if she did not. Once he even told a girl that an angel was standing by to kill him if she continued to refuse him. He also had to use this authority with his wife, who understandably was resistant to the idea of her husband marrying other women. So his revelation on polygamy stated that if Emma did not stand by him, she would be destroyed, and Joseph would then receive a hundredfold more wives. Polygamy continued long after Smith's death, spurred on by Brigham Young's teaching that only polygamous men can become gods. As the practice spread, the community changed, with men marrying their sisters, nieces, aunts, and preteen girls, causing a shortage of women for the young bachelors. Apostle Heber C. Kimball even explicitly told missionaries that they were not to marry converts until they had been brought back to Utah so that the older polygamists could have a fair shake. This even led to forced castrations as powerful polygamists competed with young men for wives. Church presidents made statements that polygamy would never end, that the United States couldn't abolish it, and that the Mormon church would apostatize if it ever gave it up. But by 1888, so many church leaders were in trouble on bigamy charges that they finally decided to give in. So in 1890, under intense pressure from the government, church president Wilford Woodruff released a manifesto stating that it was his advice that Mormons refrain from unlawful marriages. But church leaders continued to perform and authorize plural marriages. So in 1904, a second manifesto was released stating that further plural marriages would result in excommunication. Since then, Mormons who believed that those manifestos were a result of kowtowing to the government and were not the will of God have continued in polygamy. In other words, they're still new today, no matter what they want to say. And we're going to demonstrate that in a little bit. Uh, 1852 leaders of the uh, Mormons, uh, LDS Church, finally acknowledged that uh, Smith actually did practice polygamy. Because uh, for all this, oh, no, that's not what he's saying. And what they wanted to do is they tried to subvert. They said, well, that was only, unfortunately, that was Brigham Young. Yeah, but not, not old Joe. Joe was, you know, the real deal. No. They finally had to admit, right? Because, again, as we saw with some of this other stuff, you keep digging in history, you're going to find the record. No, that's really what they did. And that's really what they taught. That's really what they believed. It comes out. Okay. And, again, we saw that uh, he had up to uh, 40 wives. In fact, it's even admitted, and this is actually from the New York Times, Okay, that he had up to 40 uh, wives. Uh, in fact, uh, a lot of uh, the Mormons are really shocked about it because the church had tried to cover it up. Basically, Brigham Young took the hit for polygamy, and they tried to keep uh, Joseph Smith you know, sweet and pure and clean. If you've seen some of the artwork of him, he was just well-groomed guy and just, right? And things of that nature. So, no, I don't think so. That's not even what's going on. Uh, he, he took up to as many as 40 wives. This is from the New York Times, and uh, married a, a 14-year-old. Uh, and also Brigham Young, he practiced that when he w uh, 
uh, went to Salt Lake City. Uh, but many members, quote, did not know the full truth about Joseph Smith. And one of the members said on a blog, quote, this is not the church I grew up with. This is not the Joseph Smith I love. <sighs> They're hiding it from me. Well, guess what? That's the facts. Okay, this guy did it. Where do you think Brigham Young got this idea from? Right? But he had been the scapegoat for a long time. Uh, again, most of the Smith's wives were between the age of 20 and 40. Again, he married this Helen Kimball. She was the daughter of two close friends, and she was, again, 14 years old. Uh, the biggest bombshell that people are having a hard time with is not only Joseph Smith's, not the sweet young guy that they thought that the church had tried to portray, and this Brigham Young was just the kind of rebel guy, so to speak, with polygamy. Uh, but also, he didn't just have a, multiple wives. Many of them were already married. So that's adultery, right? And some of them were moms and daughters scenarios. That's forbidden uh, in the scripture. And there were of his friends and followers, right? Basically, the guy probably saw somebody he wanted and i got a revelation or threaten them the angel's gonna kill you <laughs> right or hey you need to go on a trip over to israel check things out and took his wife that, I, i'm not making up this what he did right it's what's wild now again they say that in 1890 under the pressure of the american government the church is issued mormons issued a manifesto a manifesto ending polygamy but they admit that the leaders did not abandon the practice Okay, but it, uh, it's still, if you will, they, they haven't really totally given it up. It just kind of spiritualized it. And they're saying it's going to come back. I'll say this in, in a second. There remains one way in which polygamy is still a part of Mormon belief. The church teaches that a man who was sealed in marriage to his wife in a temple ritual, then loses his wife to death or divorce, can be sealed to a second wife, and would be married to both wives in the afterlife. Ah, whew. escaped out of that one. <laughs> That's what these prophets said, and boy, the government's about ready to kick us out of here to Mexico, which has led to the Utah war. We'll get to that probably next week. The government is going to escort them out of here. And so um, we can't admit we're wrong. Okay, it's just in the afterlife. Well, you can say all you want. you still got people doing it physically even here on earth. Okay, so you didn't do that. But that's what they believe, uh, that now you can basically be, remember, you're not just a goddess, but goddess wives, Right? And I'm not supporting feminism, believe you me. That's got its own false teaching. But where are they when this... This is one of the most oppressive, abusive, false teachings on women. You've got to be kidding me. It's, it, it's why. Brigham Young. Brigham had, Young had 55 wives. He, he beat Joseph Smith by 15, for those of you hooked on math. Uh, he also, by the time of his death... Listen to this. I'm not making this up. He, he had 59 children. And I quote... Uh, he said, uh, with all these kids and ladies around, quote, it was the first time in my life that I desired the grave. <laughs> <laughs> Dude, you reap what you sow. It's bad, right? You got all these ladies and kids, and you're going crazy. Okay, but anyway, yeah, 55 wives. <laughs> I had to throw that in there. I, that's his quote, not mine. Anyway, but listen to this. He built a house for them. It's still in existence today. It's one of their big things. It's one of their big shrines. Shrines, I want polygamy. Listen, it's called the Lion House. And in 1856, Brigham Young built what's called the Lion House to accommodate his sizable family, 55 wives and kids. This building remains in Salt Lake City today as a landmark, together with the Beehive House. Remember, that was a Freemason issue, okay? Uh, another, which is another Brigham Young family home. A contemporary of Brigham Young wrote, quote, it was amusing to walk by Brigham Young's big house, the Lion House. Remember the lion? He's got the pride. He said, quote, it's a long, rambling building with innumerable doors. Each wife has an establishment of her own consisting of a parlor, a bedroom, and a front door. She has her own little room. And he just goes from room. That's sick. I'm sorry. How, how are you going to put this? With all due respect. That's gross. And that's one of your landmarks? Burn that thing to the ground. Right? That's a landmark? Absolutely Wow. But again, this was throughout the church leadership. Uh, Hiram Smith, he had uh, two wives. Uh, Heber Kimball, he had 45 wives. Willard Richard, 14. William Smith, he had 22. Thomas Bullock, 3. Orson Pratt, 10 wives. William Clayton, he had 10. Orson Hyde, and I'm just naming some big guns. I can't name them all. There's no way. Uh, Orson Hyde had 9. Parley Pratt had 11. Amasa Lyman, he had 9. John Taylor had 9. Edwin Woolley Sr. had six. Erastus Snow, he had 16. John D. Lee, we'll get to this guy. He was Brigham Young's assassin, hitman. 
Why would they, they're killing people? Yeah, they had a false teaching. We'll get to this next week, Lord willing, because it deals with salvation. And they believed that there were certain sins that uh, could not be atoned for. In essence, Jesus' work again on the cross wasn't enough. And that the only way to atone for that sin, which include apostasy, you tried to lead the Mormons, you had to spill your own blood. And they taught what was called blood atonement. We have to hunt you down and kill you so your blood can be spilled to atone for the sin of apostasy. Not making it up. And this guy, John D. Lee, with 19 wives, he was one of the guys who was the hitman for that. But anyway, uh, we'll get into that, Lord willing, next time. Ezra Benson, uh, eight, uh, and we're talking even presidents of the church, uh, Heber Grant, uh, he had three wives. Uh, even their, uh, the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles, their inner uh, circle, uh, Rudger Clausen. Oh, this was up until 1943, this one, all right? He had three wives, okay? Uh, the town of Clawson, Utah is named after him today. Matthias Cowley, 1940, he had three wives. Cowley, Wyoming is named after him. Uh, and again, people are still doing it today, okay? They're called the fundamentalist uh, sects of Mormon. And we see it, and they got reality shows on it today. Can I tell you something? You know what my theory is? They're conditioning us to accept this as normal. Remember what happened after the uh, Supreme Court decision? Remember what, right after that? And uh, uh, the very next week, I interrupted my study, and for the next four weeks, what did we do? I remember all your sermons, Pastor Billy. Thank you, Tom. I feel flattered. Well, we did a four-week study called A Christian Response to the Supreme Court Decision. Remember that? And we dealt with thoroughly on that topic of homosexuality. Also, what does the Bible say about this? And how do we respond to it in love? How do we witness? How do we reach out to these people? And what's going to happen, though, to our country if we don't turn around? Remember that? Okay, as we saw there, Romans 1 says, you keep going down this route, what's going to happen? It's going to get worse. God's going to give you over to that final stage, Romans 1, a depraved mind. You're going to start doing things you ought not to do, let alone approve of those who do him. Remember that? And, and we just approved, the nation approved, we didn't approve, the nation approved, the Supreme Court, of this behavior. So it's going to go downhill. You think it's bad now? You think it's homosexuality and it's going to stop? Within two days, if you recall in that study, I shared a video clip on the news. Within two days of the Supreme Court ruling, what does somebody immediately go to the court and say, you should allow polygamy, right? Because once you took away that core that a marriage is between one man, one woman, and you say it's not a one man and one woman, it's a man and a man or a woman and a woman, then why can't you say it's a man with many women and vice versa? And remember we said the second thing that's coming down the pike after that is bestiality and pedophilia. You've been reading the news? What's another thing they're starting to normalize? See, it's Romans 1. God says, if you have the audacity to approve of homosexuality and lesbian, oh, you ain't seen nothing yet. I'm going to give you over. And you're going to start doing things that you can't even... You, and see, that's the trick. Oh, it'll stop there. No, it won't. What's the, what's the other thing that's being pushed right now? Transgenderism. That's the next thing. My theory is, once they continue to push and get where they want to be with transgenderism, they're really going to pick up the bandwagon on this polygamy issue, as well as the bestiality and pedophilia. They're destroying our country spiritually, morally, from within. And we need to get the truth out. But that will work out great for the Mormons, okay, uh, with that aspect. Hold, hold on one second there, Brian. Let me finish this up. i got a little bit of time. Uh, but anyway, they're still being done today. Let me give you an example. Owen Alred, he's got eight wives uh, He uh, up until 2005. Uh, uh, Rulin Alred, he's got, had 12 wives. Thomas, uh, Tom Green, you might be familiar with him. He was, uh, uh, he was raised in the uh, LDS church. He served as a Mormon missionary. He became a Mormon fundamentalist that says, no, no, you can't spiritualize this. We still have to practice polygamy today. Well, that was one of their biggest high profiles of bigamy cases uh, in Utah history, if you're familiar with this guy. That's this guy. And he married teenagers. He divorced them and then collected welfare payments and received uh, that they received as single mothers, but he continued to live with them. It was a racket. Not only was he a, a polygamist, uh, but it was a racket uh, that's going on. He was convicted of child rape for having sex with a 13-year-old girl who refused to testify, unfortunately, against him. He had uh, 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 35 children in all, and uh, he was sentenced to prison, but he was released from prison on parole in 2007. James Harniston, he was, only died up until uh, 2013. He had eight wives. Ruland Jeffs uh, had 75 wives. And he only passed away in 2002. Remember, it's supposed to be, oh, no, we condemn this stuff. We won't allow this in our state or anywhere. And Warren Jeffs, who is still alive today, Warren Jeffs has up to 78 wives. And they are saying that it will commence again. 
They have not given up on it. Remember, they can't because these guys are prophets. They can't get it wrong. Well, we'll as goofy as it is, we'll believe that there's people on the moon and the sun. And this is a big teaching these guys had, polygamy. So we can't say they're wrong, so we'll spiritualize it. But we're also going to say, but it's coming back. They can't admit they're wrong. And they believe, listen, that, quote, uh, another one of the prophets, uh, supposedly, McConkie, he said, quote, obviously, the holy practice, polygamy, will commence again in the millennium. That's from Mormon Doctrine, page 578. Okay? And uh, uh, anyway, so that's what they're saying. And again, they go on to say, one guy... He talks about the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court decision, and how this is going to be favorable for Mormons who are just itching to say, okay, it's not just spiritual. Let's get back to what a prophet said. Listen to what he said. And this is a columnist from the Chicago Tribune, Mike uh, Royko. He stated that all that would be necessary to get the polygamy campaign going is to have the media get behind it and start calling all those who disagree with the concept of multiple wives or multiple husbands Right? A bunch of mean-spirited polyphobes. Like homophobes? Polyphobes. And this tactic, he said, has worked so well in the past. With such a strategy, it may be only a matter of time before your 1040 form has multiple lines for spouses as it does for dependents. And of course, if you remember not too long ago, uh, in the, the previous cycle of election with Mitt Romney, this came out, and the media was... Uh, poking on it, and he tried to uh, kind of play it off, you know, because they'd ask him, well, hey, don't you guys teach polygamy? And uh, he, he tried to make a lie of it, and he said something like this. He said, uh, uh, marriage is between a man and a woman, and a woman and a woman. <laughs> Ann Romney tried a different tact, quote, uh, she jabbed at her competitors at the time, her husband, McCain and Giuliani. The biggest difference, she said, between her husband and the other candidates is that uh, he's had only one wife. Because McCain had been married twice and Giuliani uh, three times. But they're trying to laugh it off. Okay, but it's no laughing matter. Now, the reason why that was such a hot topic is because Romney's great-grandfather, great-great-grandfathers were polygamists. Big-time polygamists. Okay? And uh, he, he, in fact, let me, this is, and listen, listen, listen to what this does to the ladies. But remember how they're threatened? Oh, you're going to be doomed if you don't submit to this. This is Mitt Romney's uh, his great-grandmother, Hannah. And listen to what she said when her husband, Mitt's great-grandfather, got this revelation to commit polygamy. She said, quote, she said, I felt that it was more than I could endure to have him divide his time and affections from me. I used to walk the floor and shed tears of sorrow. If anything will make a woman's heart ache, it is for her husband to take another wife. She says, but... I prayed that I would be able to have the strength to bear this great trial. What a manipulation. How sad that is that they would hang this over there. Oh, and by the way, uh, Romney's great-grandfather, Parley Pratt, he had 12 wives. Orson Pratt, Parley Pratt's brother, relative of Mitt Romney, became the first church official to proclaim and defend polygamy as a direct revelation from God. Parley Pratt, his relative, Mitz Romney, was murdered in 1857 by the legal husband of Parley's 12th wife, killed him for taking his wife, and uh, his other brother, Orson, uh, tried to commit suicide uh, and kill himself after Joseph Smith had attempted to wed his wife, Sarah, in a plural marriage. This is Mitt Romney's background. And Romney's great-grandfather, Miles Park Romney, married his fifth wife in 1897. Remember, this is supposed to be all done way away. And that was more than six years after Mormon leaders supposedly banned polygamy and more than three decades after the federal law in the United States barred the practice. And Miles, Ritt, uh, Miles Park Romney had moved to Mexico in 1884 to escape U.S. laws prohibiting polygamy, and he died there in 1904. Still, to this day, is going on. And I'm telling you, if things don't turn around in our country, you're going to see this come back, and you're going to see a wave of Mormons, uh, if you will, feel a relief, unfortunately so, because they will have justification. Just as if somebody came out with an article, as, as crazy as this sounds, we found people on the moon. Yes, finally, finally. Whoa, I was sweating bullets about that one because I couldn't admit it was wrong. And you say, well, that would never happen. Who would have thought in our lifetime that there is a very good possibility that our country 
could overturn marriage, not just between a man and a woman. But this is coming next. It's happening in our lifetime, okay? And of course, they will take it as a good thing. God says it's the beginning of the end, okay? Brian, you had something real quick? A train station? Wow. Yeah. Well, I've seen the one where the lady married her dog. Remember that one? Wow. But again, anything goes. Once you crack the foundation, it happens. It's the same thing. Once you crack the foundation, once you get outside the Bible, anything goes. Not just polygamy, but people live on the moon, and the sun, and they dress like Quakers, whatever, anyway, hey, Lord willing, next time we are going to uh, get into, finish up the person, the work of Jesus, another sign that you're in a cult, they get it wrong like this, the nature of man, the nature of salvation, and, uh, and then uh, hopefully another one after that, well, how do you witness these folks, right, what do you need to talk about, because man, they are, with all due respect, they're brainwashed, and mo- everybody in the cult typically is, so how do you unbrainwash those that are brainwashed. How, what's the best approach? We'll take a look at that. Uh, Lord willing, at that time as well. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries, and I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today, are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven, and that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, Let's take a a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, The Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay, how many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, We've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay, well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief, okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy, okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, 
You're going to have to stand before God. And you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn. We, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it. And a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. Uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins, to trust in his work on the cross, to pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that? right now well this has been pastor billy crone of sunrise baptist church and and get a life ministries and if there's anything that we can do for you uh please don't hesitate uh to contact us uh our number our information will uh come up here on the screen shortly and uh, uh if there's anything we could do for you please don't hesitate to let us know uh thank you for uh joining us and uh remember i hope to see you in heaven god bless